This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. Rachel is finally back from her timeout after being off for the last (laughs) few episodes. And today we are going to look at the Toronto International Film Festival. The festival runs from September 8th to the 18th, and we are going to highlight five movies we are very excited to see, plus maybe throwing a few rapid-fire other ones that are worth checking out or at least looking into. But welcome back, Rachel. Have you learned your lesson and uh, feel like you've uh, sufficiently sat in the corner long enough? You say that, but it was more, I, I hear, oh, we're going to do something about MCU, and I'm like, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need I don't need to talk about the MCU anymore. I don't want to rain on your and Sammy's party by just shitting all over the MCU. Well, we also uh, didn't have you on for an A24 retrospective. So oh, yeah, that? that actually I know that that actually made me sad because I was like that. I think that's the first one that I missed. It is. And that that really was just a, I couldn't make the recording time, which is a shame. But and I, I, I haven't seen Obvious Child in a really long time, um, but I'm not a big I'm not a massive Jenny Slate fan, but like I do do like that movie. That's a good one. But you guys did a really nice episode. I haven't listened to them MCU you one yet, to be clear. <laughs> yet. Oh, um, okay. But yeah. Sure. You plan yet. on doing it? I, okay. I will. I will eventually. I will eventually. Um, but yeah. I, I And I like doing episodes with Steph. We have only done like, I think, one or two. Mm-hmm. I, like talk- I like talking to her. <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> Well, so we'll do another one. I, I, yeah, that that one kind of, that that was a bit shitty that I missed that. I I didn't realize that you hadn't seen that you'd already seen Obvious Child because on our document you uh, you don't have it. Oh, did I say off. I haven't? Yeah, my bad. Yeah. I saw it like ages ago, okay. and I remember liking it and thinking like, this is a good abortion movie. <laughs> if, <laughs> if there ever was such a thing to call it, it's like it's a good one. Um, <laughs> But yeah, oh, I guess I missed it. I was looking at the spreadsheet to see what, because I I don't think I'm very accurate on those, because I think sometimes I've seen a movie and I forget that I've seen it, or I don't think I've seen a movie and then I'm like 10 minutes into it and I'm going, I think I've seen this before. (laughs) My memory is good for some things, but not for everything. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, and, and in case people don't know what I'm talking about by saying your, your time out, uh, a few weeks ago, <laughs> Classic Movies Live released an episode in response to the Best Films by Genre episode that Bill and I did, where I said, I know animation is a medium, not a genre, but I'm still going to name my favorite anime movie. And uh, they took umbrage with that and decided to do a top 10 list of best animated films by genre and you came on and did a, a little bit of a voicemail letting them know one of your picks how uh, how did that all sort of play out did, did jeff message you and be like hey i've got this sneaky plan to uh, make fun of dakota are you in you know i'm not i'm not gonna divulge the secrets that's between jeff and i how that came out that that's completely between us that's a privileged conversation dakota come on show me all i know is he is absolutely correct. <laughs> like, you, even <laughs> if you want a caveat that, hey, animation, we know is it, but like, you still did it. You still did it. And yeah, I'm glad he did that episode. I think that that was a really good idea for one because there's a lot of great animated movies out there. Like, you wouldn't have picked a favorite animated movie. It's, you know what? That was actually really difficult. So he asked me to do like a sci fi one. And I thought about a Scanner Darkly, which, um, I don't know. I can't remember. One of them picked it. Jeff or Peter Yeah, Jeff picked it. Picked I can't it. remember. Did Jeff pick it? Yeah. yeah. I really love that movie, and I think it's great. But I was trying to think of something that was like 
I don't know, a movie I've never talked about before, but I liked or like isn't talked about very often. I thought about like, I don't know, Akira as well. I think Akira could be sci-fi. That could be. Yeah, it absolutely sci-fi. is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, but it was tough picking one. I have to say it was, it was difficult to pick one because there are so many in the animated world, Dakota, because it's not just, you know, it's not a genre. It's a, it's an entire medium and it's a whole thing. And you could really go and you could do an entire podcast just about animated movies if you wanted to. Yep. Someone should do that. (laughs) Maybe Jeff and I will. Maybe Jeff and I will peel away and we'll do our own animated podcast and we'll have Pierre on as a third. Yeah. Great. Just making fun of me every episode. Exactly. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, well, we're not here to talk about uh, your insolence towards me. Uh, (laughs) We are here to, as I mentioned earlier, talk about TIFF. So, uh, like I said, the festival runs from September 8th to the 18th. It is one of the world's biggest film festivals. You're going to start to see all the big Oscar players that come out from there. Uh, It happens kind of at the same time as some of the other big festivals like Venice, and New York is just afterwards as well. And so you get all these great festivals happening all at once. And it's kind of a perfect time to be a movie lover because you get all the for, – for a year now, you've been hearing whispers of, oh, so-and-so is working on a new movie. Oh, I wonder when it's going to come out. And that finally premieres at these festivals and you get audience reaction and critic reaction and all the award prognosticators start rearranging how they think everything is going to play out. And it's all a very exciting time. But uh, we're going to talk about five movies that we are very excited about. Did you have any sort of criteria when you were looking through the TIFF lineup for which movies you thought would be good ones to talk about? Kind of. I was trying to find a balance between ones that I think are a bit known. Like, you know, we I, I don't think either of us chose like The Fablemans, which is Spielberg's new one mm-hmm. coming out. But that is obviously a movie that I think everybody is is maybe looking forward to is not the right way to say it, but like, we're all curious what he's going to do. And um, the fact that it's also his first time at TIFF, which I find fascinating. That I mean, it makes sense if you think about it, but it's just like for a director that's been around for so long and as prolific as he is um, to skip out on kind of one, but he's not like a film festival director. I suppose that's not really his thing. Um, So yeah, so I I was looking for stuff that is, you know, I think it's on a lot of people's radar, but also a few movies that are a bit smaller. And I like Canadian movies as well. So I, I wanted to try to highlight some of the Canadian films. But I mean, you you had to do the same exercise as I did, which is go through the entire program. And there are so many movies. And when you take off all the ones that sound interesting, it's still way too many movies. And you have to keep narrowing it down, narrowing it down. And it's really difficult. But that's a good, it's a good problem to have. Tiff, Tiff always does a really good job picking interesting films and like a good variety of them as well. Like across genres, across countries. Um, It looks like a good lineup this year and it's the first year back properly since COVID happened. So it's, it'll be fun. I think it's going to be like an exciting festival this year, just because it's been gone prop like in, in the, in the way that in the proper sense, like it's been gone for a few years. So Mm -hmm. it'll be nice. I unfortunately will not be able to attend. So these are more movies that I am just excited about in general. Uh, And and yeah, going through the entire TIFF program, it it really is an exercise in restraint 
because yeah. you're looking at it and, and the TIFF website doesn't really give you a lot of information because you'll get the header image. So you might recognize an actor or something like that from the still that's chosen. And then it'll be like the start of the blurb. So it'll be like, oh, in the return of this filmmaker, they are making, you know, a personal story about so-and-so and starring. Yeah. And then it like cuts off. And so you don't see any more. So that's basically what you kind of have to judge on and be like, all right, th- this is all I have to judge on. It's basically like, you know, opening up Tinder or something. And I'd be like, you got to judge right away. Yes or no. Are you, are you interested in this or not? Uh, and so basically I, I just went through the entire lineup and just opened in a new tab. If a movie sort of caught my eye, but I try to be a little bit picky about it. And I think I, I got it down to about 30 or so movies. And then from there, <laughs> I, I, tiered them into like yes absolutely ones I, i'm excited about you know ones i'm sort of excited about and ones i'm just like sort of curious about and so i managed to completely narrow it down to 20 movies which and then i had to figure out which were my five most anticipated and then what other ones would be my sort of honorable mentions yeah i i don't know if i went down as granular as you <laughs> i just kind of tried to like i mean i could pick these five I am very much so looking forward to, but I could also pick another five that I'm just mm. as much so looking forward to. I think in terms of like picking movies to actually watch at TIFF, it's tough because like you want to, you want to look at the big ones because I don't know, you don't want to be left behind that. Like, you don't want to be it's the very only exciting critic. being the first. Yeah. But it's all like, you don't want to be the only critic that didn't watch Fableman's. You don't want to be the only one that didn't go and watch the new Jennifer Lawrence or the new mm-hmm. um, uh, Aronofsky or whatever. And also, I suppose like for people's jobs and sense, like those are the ones that are going to be the best to write about. Mm. But at the same time, the balance of that is, is there's the smaller movies, which are incredibly interesting. And those are probably the ones that it's going to take a while to get distribution. So you might not, or it might never get distribution, right? So you may never, ever have a chance to watch it after TIFF or like after the festival run or catch it on, you know, wherever a good example of that is Saloon. That was a movie that, um, I was really big on last year and I loved it. And it's taken about pr- pretty much a year for it to come out um, in a more wide, wide stream, mainstream, <laughs> um, a mainstream way. So like, it, it, yeah, sometimes there's great movies. And like, I talked to you about Saloon and this and that. And I, it's a movie I recommend to a lot of people, but it's, it's taken a year for people to actually be able to watch it. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the other kind of the other side of the coin. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's let's get into this. I think I think the the the, the proper thing to do is we're going to call this as you mentioned. Uh, we're not going to talk about it, but we're going to call this like our Fableman's list because you know who isn't going to be excited to see a Steven Spielberg movie? The thing is, you don't need Tiff to be excited for a Steven Spielberg yeah. movie or have the ability to watch it. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so it's going to be curious. I, I think maybe only one of my movies is going to be one that is going to be super easy for everyone to see. The rest of them are probably going to be a little bit trickier depending on where you live and what sort of cinemas are around you. Um, but the Fablemans just know that like, yeah, that's one we're both excited for. We just don't need to talk about it. So what is your first pick otherwise, Rachel? I'm going to go with, I think the only pick you and I have overlapping. And so we'll start off with that one, which is Decision to Leave. It's a Korean movie by Park Chan-wook, who, for those of you who know, he's the one who directed um, Old Boy is probably his most famous movie that he he's done, but he's done a bunch of other great films as well. And he's, he's an amazing Korean director. Um, it's being billed as a romantic mystery thriller 
kind of film. And I, I don't really like watching trailers, so I, I haven't watched the trailer. So I can't give you an exact description of what it is, but um, it sounds really great. Like it sounds almost kind of noirish as well. And it's premiered at Cannes. It's already been released in Korea. It's gotten amazing reviews so far. It's going to be Korea's um, submission for the best international film category at the Oscars this year. Um, but one aspect that I find really interesting is um, the main actress in it. Her name is Tong Wei. She's a Chinese actress and she's an amazing actress, first of all. Like if, if anyone's not familiar with her work, she's an absolutely just crazy talented um, young woman. Just not really young anymore, but she's she's a crazy talented woman. Um, she was in a movie years ago called Lust Caution and that was Ang Lee movie. And it was with Tony Leung or Leung Tzu Life or my Hong Kong people out there. And it was an incredibly sexually explicit movie. It was kind of an erotic thriller and uh, set in quite a while ago. I think like the 1800s, early 1900s um, out in Shanghai. And like they were engaged. It was a lot of sex in the movie, like in a lot of quite explicit sex scenes. And she was essentially blacklisted for a few years from working in China and having her films being shown in mainland China. Um, so I like anytime I see her name in something, I get really excited and very happy for her because I mean, it's bullshit that she was blacklisted, but Long Tu Wai was, he's obviously done absolutely fine. He suffered absolutely no repercussions for being in that movie <laughs> and neither did Ang Lee. So I'm excited for her to be in this. She's married. She, it's like, she is Chinese and I believe she speaks Korean in this movie. She is married to a Korean uh, man. I think he's actually a filmmaker himself. Um, so yeah, so I'm interested in this movie for a number of reasons, uh, but it's also just, it's interesting to see something new from Park, Park Chan-wook, who he's just, he's one of those directors that when you see his name, you, you want to go and watch what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Minor, minor correction, Lush, Lust Caution takes place during World War II. Oh, World War II. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought so. I haven't seen it. It's been on my list for a, a really long time, but I, I've never uh, caught up with it. It's a good movie. Yeah, yeah. So, so I've been told. But yes, uh, decision to leave is the only one that is our duplicate. And I, I'm also a big fan of Park Chan Wook. I really love The Handmaiden. Old Boy is also a really great movie. Those are, I think, the only two of his I've seen. Oh, um, oh no, he just produced Snowpiercer. That's right. That was a Bong Joon Ho movie. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I know that. I'm looking at his uh, IMDb profile right now. He he's made one English language movie, Stoker, which was met with mixed receptions. I still haven't seen it, so I can't really comment on it. But uh, yeah, if you know Park Chan Wook, you know he really loves blending genres, much like uh, his fellow countryman Bong Joon Ho, who also really blends genres as well. So when you were listing off all these different, you know, is it a, a mystery? Is it a is it a drama? Is it a you know all these different things that are going on? Action. You know that to to most people like I feel like you're trying to get too much in there, Park. Uh, but in reality, <laughs> no, that's just that's just what he does. He he's so adept at blending these different vibes and making it all work pretty seamlessly, in in my opinion. And I have seen the trailer, but most of the time you watch uh, these trailers of movies that are not in English, they basically give nothing away because they don't know how to make a trailer. Because they refuse to actually like show scenes of dialogue. It's like you get to see yeah. images of of different stuff going on, and then it's music overlaid over top. I'm like, well, I don't know anything that's going on. How am I supposed to be excited about this? I'm watching a trailer for a Korean film, so show me the actual talking in Korean. Like, I, like it's not going to be confusing to me. 
So it's always weird when, when that happens where you're like, great, I know even less about this movie now. <laughs> it looks pretty, but that's about it. But is it, I mean, I suppose, do you think it's enough if you didn't know who the director was, if you didn't know who the actors were, like, do you think that the trailer is exciting enough? Like the clips that they did cut together? No. Is it enough to be like, Ooh, interesting. Not, not no, at all. Interesting. No. Okay. I, like it's just, it's, there's just nothing to the trailer that you can yeah, really so I, I guess I, I, I could watch the trailer then and not have anything spoiled for me basically. Yeah. This, the, this TIFF uh, blurb says way more about it than anything else that you'll, oh. you'll glean from the trailer, which isn't even a lot because it seems to be talking yeah. more about uh, Park Chan-wook and his career. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Park Chan-wook and you know, uh, and the Handmaiden is one of my favorite movies of the last few years, and he does a great job of being able to blend different cultures, you know, to probably to mm-hmm. unrefined North American audiences. The differences between Korean and Japanese cultures probably doesn't seem like that much, but it, there really is a huge amount of difference. Just like if you were trying to do something, the subtle differences between Canadians and Americans, you know, to to people who live here would probably be able to to notice those differences. And The Handmaiden does a very interesting job of blending Korean and Japanese cultures because it is about, if I'm remembering it correctly, Japanese-occupied Korea. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and the fact that this now seems to be blending uh, Korean the the movie is Korean, but with a, a Chinese uh, actress, and and probably probably infusing some aspects of of Chinese culture into the movie as well. It's going to be very interesting to sort of see how he balances those two as well. I'll just say on a note about Handmaid. I know this is not an episode about Handmaiden, but um, like when you talk about with Korean and Japanese, you know, it isn't necessarily just subtle differences. Like there's a big historical. I was going to say issue, but that really undercuts what it is. Like it's, it's still incredibly tenuous. Like it's a very, um, not tenuous. It's just, it's a very tension filled topic still to this day. Uh, and there's been a lot of interesting stuff. Like, uh, there was a show on Apple called Pachinko and it talks a bit about that as well. Um, and it blends the two and it's, it's really fascinating and, um, very also incredibly sad as well. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's he I completely agree with what you said. Like he does it he does so in a very tactful way and a very impactful way as well and hopefully explaining to people who aren't as familiar with the history of what happened and and not just on a very surface level but for a very uh like it's very emotive what he does and it really makes you feel the highs and the lows of what was going on during that time. So yeah, he he's fantastic though. Mhm. Uh, okay, yeah, so that was both of our first picks. What would be your second pick? I'm going to go with a Canadian movie called Stellar, and it is a love story basically between a man and a woman who don't seem to have names. And I always like movies that they don't give their um, protagonist names. Um, and they develop this connection. They're in a bar in northern Ontario, and there's like a supernatural thing happening outside of the bar. But when they're inside, they're developing their own connection and their own love story is starting from there. Uh, the director is Darlene Nepons. Apologies if I said that incorrectly, but the reason I was kind of drawn to it is the main actress is Elamaya uh, Tailfeathers, who was in Night Raiders. She directed the meaning of empathy, which was a documentary that I really loved. So it's an indigenous love story. It just looks 
really poetic and cosmic and artistic. And there's just, it, it looks incredible. And again, like for tail feathers in particular, anything that she does, I'm very curious about. Cause I think she, one, she's a fantastic actress, but she's a great filmmaker, a great storyteller. And um, I'm slightly obsessed with her. So anything that she does, I'm, I'm game for. <laughs> yeah, this is one that I saw as well. And uh, I'm, I'm curious about it because I also quite like tail feathers in uh in uh, the movie that she did last year. Night Raiders? Night Raiders, yes. Sorry, thank you. Uh, and, and I had wanted to catch the meaning of empathy because I know you were a big fan of it, but I never was able to get around to it in time. And I know we talked about the both of those movies quite extensively when we did our Canadian Screen Awards episodes mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, this is, this is uh, one that's probably going to be on the radar for next year's uh, Canadian Screen Awards, and it's probably not going to be the last time we end up talking about this. Definitely not. Like I can see it. It kind of is built up to be um, a film, but I mean, there's also, I, okay, here's one of the great things I would say is the amount of films that are coming out of Canada, specifically from the indigenous community is quite a number now. Um, not enough, but like a lot more than there used to be. So it's not like there's like a default, Oh, this is the indigenous movie that we're talking about this year. Um, there's a lot. And I think mm-hmm. that that's awesome. Like there's a good competition now amongst like which one, which is going to be the best Canadian film. And uh, whereas before I feel like it was a bit more de facto, like this is just going to be the one that yeah. everyone talks about for the whole year. But yeah, it's, it's a healthy, it's healthy competition right now in Canada, which is great. Yeah. It's interesting where it's basically the Canadian film industry is that you've got Quebec having their own mm-hmm. sort of insular industry where they produce uh, quite a bit of films because they have to. And then now you've got the indigenous communities making their films as well. And so really the conversation about where Canadian cinema is going is is up there between, is it going to be French language cinema or the different indigenous language cinemas? Uh, in English language, movies have basically not been getting any sort of uh, funding or uh, interest or unique talents or things like that. Like it's very, it's very much uh, minimalized compared to uh, the two other growing factions within Canada. Which is great. I mean, it's like, it's, it's interesting as well. And I think the next step for the Canadian film industry, which I feel like would be really interesting. And it's kind of along the same lines of what Minari did in the States, which is an American film, but it's not in English. And we obviously have French and uh, various indigenous languages as well that um, are being used in films. But I think it would be really cool if, you know, we start having films that are done in, you know, Punjabi or, uh, you know, what other languages are widely spoken here, Ukrainian or something Mm -hmm. like that, you know, like it would be really cool to start seeing filmmakers do it that way as well. But they're, they're entirely Canadian movies. Yeah. Um, Probably the closest thing to that is like the works of Deepa Mehta who Mm -hmm. was making Hindi movies. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that would be really I feel like that would make such a like a nice, well-rounded film industry in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's cool. Like, I I love it. I love what we're seeing now. Like, like you said, the French Canadian industry is doing really well and really interesting stuff. And I mean, you and I both loved Ashgrove as well, which is an English Canadian movie. So it's Mm -hmm. not like they're flagging on any stretch. But uh, what's your what's your next pick? 
So my next one is, as I said off the top, where most of these are probably going to be a little bit trickier to find depending on where you live and, and what sort of movie theaters you go to. But this is the one that's going to be super easy for everyone to see. And that is Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. <laughs> and it's coming to Netflix. So it's going to be super easy to, for everyone to watch. Um, I love the first Knives Out movie. I would say it's probably the most fun I've had watching a movie in the last, you know, five, 10 years, maybe, maybe up there is one of the most fun movies I've ever seen. Uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not saying it's the best movie, but it's a hell of a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed the, the mystery aspect of it. And Netflix gave Ryan Johnson a whole boatload of money to make uh, a whole franchise of Knives Out movies. And so they're back. And once again, the cast is absolutely stacked. The only person returning is Daniel Craig, who is playing his Benoit Blanc character, uh, his uh, Kentucky Fried uh, CSI character, <laughs> uh, as they joked about in the first movie. But the the cast also includes Ethan Hawke and Edward Norton and Catherine Hahn and Kate Hudson, Janelle Monet and Leslie Odom Jr. and Dave Bautista and Jessica Henwick. And it keeps going on and on. And the only thing we know so far about this movie is that it's a sequel. It's going to probably follow a similar plot line of a whodunit. And we have one fantastic image to go off of, which has uh, Daniel Craig on one end of a long table, and I believe it is uh, Edward Norton on the other end, and it looks like they're yelling at each other. And then this long table, very Last Supper-esque, is filled with this absolutely stacked cast. That's all we really know. That's all I care about. I just very excited to see this. And it, it's a bit of a, a cheating pick for doing a TIFF episode because everyone's going to know about this movie. Everyone's going to be able to see it. But uh, I just had to talk about this movie. I feel like Ryan Johnson's done a cool thing of because, OK, so there was the announcement recently that I think Ryan Reynolds is going to do something on the Clue franchise, like they're going to reboot that. And and I think Reynolds is going to be involved in it. And then you've got Kenneth Branagh who's doing, or I don't know if they're going to continue doing more, but um, who is doing like Death on the Nile. And I think he did the, the Murder on the Orient Express, so like the Agatha Christie adaptations. So it's kind of in a similar vein, but the thing I like about it is that it's Ryan Johnson's original whodunits. Like it's coming from him. It's not an adaptation of something um, from before so mm-hmm. i yeah i they're fun i I love that movie too i I had a great time watching that one um, yeah I, I think the key is that it's original and that's that's yeah. the key for it and that that's great like because we don't see that very often anymore um but the whodunit franchise like franchise the whodunit genre is it's fun like it's i it you could give those kind of movies to anybody and everybody will enjoy it you know because who like it's just fun to kind of take apart those mysteries and and they're not like they're not super dark like a seven for example which is mm, yeah like, in, intense and really dark so it's a bit more fun but like still a bit gritty and it has that mystery element to it so yeah i'm looking forward to it too i think it's going to be a fun one and i think it's like like you said it's gonna be available on netflix um so it's yeah, everyone will have a chance to watch, or not everyone, but the majority of people are going to have the chance to watch it. Uh, is, do you know if it's doing a theatrical release as well? I imagine it is going to, in order to qualify for awards. Um, right, 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 right. Yeah, but I'm sure it's going to be super limited to like New York, LA, mm-hmm. Toronto, playing like one day's worth of of screening, yeah. sort of thing. Uh, it's yeah, it's going to have to in order to be eligible for awards, but uh, it it won't be very widely available it's kind of like what they did with the gray man um i think the gray man was out for like a week or two before it went to netflix and it was only in a few 
I don't even know if Cineplex carried it. Like, I think it might've just been at very specific theaters. It's about the same kind of concept. Mm-hmm. All right. What is your number three pick? Um, it actually is fairly in keeping with what we were talking about with Stellar. It's a movie called Viking, which is a French Canadian movie. And the director is Stéphane Lafleur. And it is the, the, what got me on this one was the description of it was basically talking about absurdist humor. And it's about the first manned mission to Mars. And it's a group of astronauts who are basically doing a dress rehearsal um, for the actual astronauts who are going to go to Mars. And the whole idea is they're going to mimic what's going to happen on the mission so that if anything goes wrong, um, they'll, they'll be able to catch it ahead of time rather than them actually being in space and having the problem. So there's a lot of, and even the image that they use in the header, it looks very 2001 space odyssey. And I thought that was actually appropriate because I know you just recently watched it for the first time in theaters, which Mm -hmm. I, I I know you liked it, but I was like, very excited to get your thoughts on that later. Um, But it's, it's weird sci-fi. It's got like an off brand kind of weird sense of humor to it, which sounds interesting. So it's very much so made for me. And um, yeah, like kind of in keeping with what we were talking about before, like I said, you know, it's a French Canadian movie. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't see this one at all, so I'm glad you're bringing this to my attention because this sounds really interesting. And that's yeah. that's sort of the, the the beauty of TIFF is, you know, the two of us can go through the entire list and, you know, I pulled out what looked like 30 movies and I narrowed it down to 20 that are still on my, my spreadsheet and Viking wasn't on it. And that means you probably went through and saw a similar amount of movies that looked interesting on first glance. And you probably had uh, some that overlap, but probably had a whole bunch that were not overlapping. And you tell me about this. This sounds super exciting. And now one that is definitely on my radar to be on the lookout for. And hopefully it's playing at uh, the Vancouver International Film Festival or other film festivals that I'll have access to down the line. Yeah, and that, that's like you said, the beauty of TIFF. It's the beauty of the film festival circuit, really, is finding these films that I don't know how easy it's going to be after the film festival run for it, for it to find. Like, I think within Canada, obviously, I think in Quebec, it should be easier to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but across Canada, especially out in BC, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, we don't get a ton of, of French movies yeah. out here because I'll I'll look through and like, once you get past all the Hollywood movies and you're scrolling through like Cineplex's website or something like that, you'll get like a huge list of um, Indian films. You'll get all the Bollywood yeah. movies and then you'll get all like the the Chinese language movies and things like that. And those are sort of the two main demographics they target to in Canada outside of the English language films. Uh, and so you rarely get French films released in English language markets. Yeah, it's too bad because like, I mean, we, we've already spoken about this um, ad nauseum, but like they do make amazing movies like the French. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is about French Canadians, but they make really interesting stuff. And the humor is very funny. Like I actually really enjoy the humor that they put into their movies. Yeah, they have a very dry sense of humor. Yeah, which I, which I very much so enjoy. Yeah. All right. So I will go on to my next pick, and that is a movie called Triangle of Sadness. It is directed by Ruben Ostlund. And people probably know this name for a few different reasons. One, Triangle of Sadness earlier this year won the Palme d'Or. And this was actually Ruben Ostlund's second Palme d'Or because he won for The Square back in 2017, I believe it was. And he is uh, a film director. He's now sort of 
up there with like the top tier echelon European directors where when he has a new movie come out is now become an event again. And he blends different languages, different sensibilities to his films. He also had a a pretty popular one before the square called Force Majeure, which got remade into a Will Ferrell and Julia Louis-Dreyfus movie that was an absolute flop. But he's now had uh, three movies back-to-back that are sort of now capturing uh, mainstream English-language audiences. And this one looks to be super interesting. It's about a cruise for the super-rich sinks leaving survivors uh, all trapped on an island and none of them can take care of themselves except for the ship's captain who went who goes from being you know basically a middle-class person he's probably paid decently but he has to put up with all these rich people and suddenly he is now the most powerful person on this island and this person is played by woody harrelson the only english-speaking person in the cast and the rest is made up of uh mostly swedish people i believe but he uses a pretty worldly cast overall so I'm very curious about this. Reception of this has been very rapturous. The fact that one, the Palme d'Or is a very good thing and is going to be probably, as far as international movies that we're talking about, probably going to be one of the ones that's going to be pretty easy to see, uh, especially along the lines of something like Decision to Leave. It's probably going to be Sweden's entry to the Oscars as well. So it, you know, everyone should be able to see this eventually down the line. Rapturous is a great word, by the way. Thank you. To- yeah, hats off for that one. Um, I love the idea of Woody Harrelson being the only English speaking person in like any environment because <laughs> I, I just feel like he would be very um, like he seems like a nice enough dude, but because he's so chill, like because he's probably like high all the time. But he's like, I, I just feel like it would be very that that's a great environment, it's a great circumstance to find yourself in of seeing Woody Harrelson as the only English speaking person um, mm-hmm. in a room. Um, I, this movie wasn't really on my radar. Uh, I, I saw a bit of kind of the, the press releases come in for that one. Cause it did seem to me like it was gonna be a bigger one. I didn't realize that the director made, um, another like shape movie before. So this is like triangle. And then before it was square. <laughs> I don't know if that's on purpose. If it's going to be like a shape trilogy and the next one's going to be like a parallelogram. Um, <laughs> but it sounds really interesting though. I'm, I'll definitely check that out now. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm very excited for this, and the poster for this movie looks absolutely incredible. Yeah. It's uh, it's a cruise ship that is on fire, and you've got yeah. all these rich people who are just sort of ignoring it, and Woody Harrelson standing in the middle of a hot tub with what looks like a bottle of champagne, and just like as chaos is starting to erupt in the back, and it hasn't reached the front yet. So it's going to be very interesting to see. I'm I'm very excited for this. It sort of feels a bit like a Paulo Sorrentino movie as well, where it mm, is really okay. good at satirizing the rich. Which we should all do, really. Really, I know. They all deserve to Un- be until we Until we become the rich class, then we should continue to satirize. <laughs> <laughs> but once we're there, then we should probably lay off. Absolutely. Okay, Rachel, what is your next pick? <laughs> um, I'm going another Canadian movie. I actually didn't realize I put three Canadian movies in a row, but um, this is a Toronto-based one, and it's called Brother. It's directed by Clement Virgo, who has done some like really great movies that are very... He's done a lot of Toronto-based movies, but his last one was like back in 2008. I didn't realize it's been that long. Um, so I think because I came to his filmography later, like I didn't watch them when they were coming out. So to me, his movies are are like 
more recent, but they're they're not. Um, so I think his last movie was in 2008. It was called Poor Boy's Game. It had Danny Glover in it. And it was set out in Halifax. Um, but this time he returns back to Toronto and it's going to be, it's a movie, it's an adaptation of a, a novel, which is about two Jamaican Canadian brothers. And there's a family tragedy that occurs and the movie's going to be told in a non-linear format to basically uncover what happened between the brothers and their mother. And it sounds very moving. It sounds like it's going to be shot in a, or it was edited and cut in a very interesting way as well. Um, and it's always nice to see, you know, we did a whole episode about films that are actually set in Toronto and they leave Toronto for Toronto. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen very often. And, um, so I'm, I'm excited to see that. And especially to have a director who has a pulse on the city as well as, as Virgo does. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to look for that. And I just want to give a little shout out. So now magazine, um, for everybody in, I think it's. I'm trying to actually think, is it a Toronto base? I know it's Toronto based, but I don't know if they only are in, are given out in Toronto, but it's a, it's a magazine that's been around for a really, really long time. And it's a music and film and kind of just general stuff about the city. Uh, they issued their, they had their last print issue come out very recently, um, which is unfortunate. They're continuing on as a website, I believe, but they're not going to do print issues anymore. But the last issue, the cover story was brother and it has the two main actors, uh, Lamar Johnson and Kiana Madeira on the cover. And the story is wonderful. I've read it. It's great. Uh, and so I would recommend if you're able to pick up a copy of Now Magazine, which is the last one for at least a while, it sounds like, um, definitely go check it out. So this one I think is going to be a big movie for the Toronto film scene. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, Clement Virgo is is probably one of the most uh, underrated Canadian directors. Mm-hmm. I know the word underrated probably gets thrown around a lot and misused a lot, but I really would classify Clement Virgo as an underrated director, someone who never really got the the mainstream recognition he probably deserves, and and probably would be up there in one of the 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 guiding forces of Canadian cinema. Uh, throughout the history of film. He's he's a super talented guy, and uh, I did not realize that Poor Boy's Game was the last film that he made. He's been doing TV work. Yeah, he's done a lot then. of TV since, yeah. He's done a mm-hmm. lot of TV. But, Which is uh, good. I mean, like it's it's like interesting television work as well, and I think we can all agree there's a lot of good stuff on TV that maybe even outshines movies at some point. But yeah, but it's been a while since he's done a movie. Yes, he he he's able to to uniquely focus his eye on the black experience specifically in Toronto and it's something that is is so often ignored. So it, it's great that Clement Virgo has a new movie coming out and this was one of the ones that sort of made my uh my my longer list of movies to consider and I'm glad that you uh you brought it up as one that you're excited about. Yeah, and he's he's going to be at TIFF, so fingers crossed. I hope I get to meet him and speak with him because It is in cool. his backyard. Yeah. He basically just needs to probably take like a TTC over if uh, he, <laughs> he might be able to walk. I don't know. <laughs> he, he's going to show up on uh, on the, the King Street car uh, in a full tuxedo. What a great PR that would be, though. Imagine the entire cast. They just like come down like they come through on, on the street car. And then yeah. I don't know where they're doing the premiere, probably Roy Thompson. And they get out Something, at the yeah. stop and it's just like, boom, that'd be actually pretty sweet. Why has nobody yeah. done that yet? That'd actually be really cool. <laughs> yeah. Just charter uh, a TTC streetcar. Yeah. It must be easy for him. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So my next pick is a movie called The Good Nurse. This movie 
uh, is one that I don't know if it's going to be great or not, but the, uh, the, the subject of it seems interesting enough. So I'm, I'm including it and it's about a, uh, a caregiver at a hospital who is being implicated with the deaths of a whole lot of the hospital patients. And it stars Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne. So it looks like Eddie Redmayne is someone who is, uh, maybe illegally, um, ending patients lives and don't i don't really know a ton more about it like is this something supposed to be like a euthanasia sort of thing or is this like no he's just straight up murdering people uh and jessica chastain is one of his co-workers who is being interviewed by the fbi to figure out if eddie redmayne is the killer or not it is directed by uh tobias lindholm who is a co-worker a frequent uh, collaborator with Thomas Vinterberg. He uh, wrote Another Round. He wrote The Hunt. He wrote A War. These are all pretty big movies. He doesn't have as much um, directing credits to his name. A War is probably uh, the biggest movie that he's done, uh, a movie that I quite enjoyed. It was uh, it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film the year it came out, uh, one I was really uh, high on. Uh, he directed two episodes of Mindhunter, uh, but that's that's sort of where his directing credits end. But he is a, a pretty prodigious writer. He's written a lot, as I said, mostly working with Tobias Vinterberg, who is his Danish compatriot and a part of the Dogma 95 group along with uh, Lars von Trier. So, so when you said, um, like you kind of questioned – he's he's kind of a, a nurse who who maybe is illegally ending people's lives i laughed because when i first read it i took it as him just being a straight-up murderer but yeah. i never really thought about the euthanasia side of it like maybe maybe that is what it is i didn't i didn't i really didn't think about it from that side i just thought eddie redmayne straight up killing people but yes which it seems very interesting and yeah I think- I think the blurb is trying to make you think one way about the movie, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's probably a hell of a lot more nuanced than what you can write yeah. up in less than 200 words. Yeah, and I, I think it's a great pick for a TIFF preview episode as well, because it has Jessica Chastain, who I feel like is like TIFF's daughter at this point. Like She's done <laughs> so much at TIFF, and so many of the, her biggest moments in her career have come through the festival, so I think that that's appropriate that we uh that we give her this because i think this is is this her only movie this year i think it is i have no idea uh but she usually at least has like two at tiff every year yeah i mean she slowed down this year and she just she just has the one um but yeah i think it's i thought it sounded interesting when i first saw it like the the preview thing for it but now that you bring in this the idea that maybe it's it's not as clear-cut as just being like a murder thriller which i was already sold on um that makes me even more interested that's pretty cool (laughs) okay uh what is your last pick i'm going with a martin mcdonough movie or the martin Mm. mcdonough movie at the festival uh martin mcdonough of course he is directed in bruges seven psychopaths and what's that three billboards in epping Outside Ebbing, Missouri, yeah. Elsa, thank you, yeah. Um, I really like Imbruge and Seven Psychopaths. Like, I'm really into that. Uh, he's got a new movie coming out called The Banshees of Insurin, and it has Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, and Barry Keegan. Uh, it's meant to be about a fractured friendship between, I'm assuming between Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously going to be very darkly humored, uh, as is his trademark. I think anybody who has watched In Bruges or Seven Psychopaths, the second you see Martin McDonough's movie, especially because Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson are going to be in it, this is going to be one of those movies that I think all of us are incredibly anticipating, even outside of TIFF. It's kind of, it is kind of like a Fableman's type movie where it's like, regardless of TIFF, this was going to be a movie that was going to be on people's radars. I particularly like that B- Barry Keegan's also in this because it kind of feels like you've got three generations of Irish actors. Mm-hmm. And this is almost in a way of like anointing Keegan into the fold of, of the, the Irish actors who've quote unquote made it in Hollywood. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I love McDonough. I love Farrell Gleason, Keegan and um, Irish cinema in general. I actually find incredibly good and they, they make some amazing movies over in Ireland. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. I love that uh, that Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson still do Irish films. Brendan Gleeson, yeah. I know he never he never really had the same stature as as a Colin Farrell or or some other people from Ireland did. Uh, so it makes sense that you know he goes home and makes movies there because it's it's good solid work. But Colin Farrell, being you know he was just in the Batman and of, <laughs> of all things, like he yeah. can do whatever he wants as he really has for the last you know, 20 years, but he still makes time to do the Irish films uh, every once in a while. And the fact that he's reuniting with Brendan Gleeson, as you said, in Bruges, like, I don't know anyone who's watched in Bruges and didn't absolutely love it. Like it's one of those movies where you've either haven't seen it or it is one of the funniest movies you've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like there genuinely, there's nobody I know that I've pointed to it or has watched it and been like, "Eh, I didn't really get it. And I think that these (laughs) days, if you, if you say that you don't like it, you're just trying to be contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. Like, because it's a damn good movie. It's like saying you don't like Jurassic Park. Like it's, it's such a good movie and there's nothing about it that I can really see anybody looking at being like, "Eh, it's not really for me. It's a bit violent, actually. I suppose it, I suppose in Bruges is a little bit violent, so some people don't like that. And the humor is incredibly dark, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, with a lot of jokes about killing children and, and uh, oh, the God. role religion plays in the world and, and all that sort of stuff. So you, you can either laugh at it because the movie is laughing at it or you're Be horrified. <laughs> yeah, it's just terrible. Uh, have you seen the trailer for this movie yet? I haven't, no, which is why I didn't okay. know. I know it's about a friendship. And mm-hmm. this is, to be honest, it's one of those that I didn't need to see a trailer. Like I was going to watch it regardless. Um, but no, I haven't. Is Does it give away anything? Is it or? No, I think it, I think it's a, a trailer cut pretty well. Okay. Uh, and it sort of really plays up that this is a mystery angle because okay. the, the conceit of the movie is that it's it's two lifelong friends and they have a falling out. Um but it sort of posits that Colin Farrell doesn't understand why Brendan Gleeson doesn't want to be his friend anymore. And so it sort of makes it a bit of a mystery movie of he's trying to figure out what's going on. But because they take place in a small town, it's everyone's business all of a sudden. Everyone mm-hmm. knows what's going on. There's a lot of gossiping, all that sort of stuff. So it's very interesting uh, to see how how that plays out there. I really was not a fan of Three Billboards. I, I'll go out and yeah, say that neither. I hated that movie. Uh, oh, interesting. I, I, I don't like it. I don't know if I, I would go, like, I don't know if I actively dislike it. It's just one of those. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I will be fine never watching this ever again. It, it made me very angry because I found myself disagreeing with the politics of the movie so strongly mm. and being confused by people who 
were so uh, in awe of it. Uh, and it's one of those times where like you watch a movie and you're like, did I watch a different movie than everyone else? What is going on here? <laughs> yeah, because it, it did really, really well when it came out. Like I, It was nominated for a bunch of shit, too. Ca- yeah. Um, uh, what's her name? One of the best actors, Oscar. Yeah, um, right. Um, f- uh, Frances McDormand? Yeah, Frances McDormand. Yeah, 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 that was her. I'm sorry. I was looking at up. Uh, that's why I was a bit of a pause there. I was just looking up. It wasn't McDonough who was behind that movie. Um, the unfor- was it the Unforgiven, the Forgiven, the one that you and I both really that's didn't his, like. Last that's his that's his brother. That was his brother, right? Thank yes. you. I was, like, I was like, I swear it was a McDonough, but it wasn't the same McDonough. Yeah, so okay. that's his brother, John Michael McDonough, yeah. who also did The Guard and Cavalry, which the also star uh, Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, I, I liked The Guard. I didn't I love it. Cavalry was one I, 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 like I was probably a little bit higher on, uh, also didn't love. Yeah, uh, yeah The Forgiven was was pretty <sighs> god-awful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which was a shame because, you know, speaking of Jessica Chastain, Tiff, yeah. Tiff movies, that was one that played last year at TIFF. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was that was a pretty awful movie. And with Ray Fiennes, who has a tremendous performance in In Bruges. He's yeah, the, there you that's go. My favorite thing I've ever seen him in is in that. Yeah, uh, they they like to use the same actors, which is which is pretty interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I like that. Yeah, I, I do, too. Okay, so my last pick is a movie called Wendell in Wild, and I'm excited for this because this is a stop uh, stop motion animation movie that is being directed by Henry Selleck. If you had re- if you had listened recently to uh, the episode that I did, A History of Leica, you knew that Henry Selleck was a very instrumental part in that animation studio getting its start. He directed Coraline and then sort of left on very ambiguous terms that seemed like uh, he wasn't happy with the direction that the studio was going. And so he's sort of been off in the wild doing his own thing for the last several years, trying to get a few different projects uh, off the road. Uh, But this is going to be his first movie since Coraline back in 2009. And it's one that he's been working with Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele. Uh, Jordan Peele co-wrote this movie with Henry Selleck and another writer. And anytime you get Key and Peele in the same movie and what looks like it's going to mostly be a comedy, you're going to be getting a lot of attention. But the plot of it is two scheming demon brothers, Wendell and Wilde, must face their arch nemesis, the demon dusting nun, Sister Helly, and her two acolytes, the goth teens, Cat and Raoul. However, Raoul cannot see them, so Cat helps Wendell and Wilde to help him. So, I don't know. It's like a horror-ish uh, stop-motion comedy movie that I'm very excited about. It's rated PG-13, so it's not going to be super family-friendly, which has me hoping that the comedy is going to be really good in it. Uh, the stills that they've released so far also look really interesting, very unique, very Henry Selleck, very key and peel. So I'm excited for all of that. I'm looking forward to the key and peel aspect of it. Um, nothing against Selleck. I'm that that's cool too. But yeah, but I, I think the key and peel, especially because Jordan Peele has been doing um, not comedy for a little while now. And I mean, it's funny in its own way, but not in the same sense that it was with key and peel. Um, so it's fine. Like, I think the last thing that they did together would, was, would it have been the, the Keanu movie? The one about the cat Keanu, mm-hmm, which I like that one. It's cute. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm excited to see them team up again and, and do something else together. Uh, even 
are they voicing it? Sorry, I don't know. If yes. You... Yeah, yes, they're they are. They're okay. voicing Wendell and Wilde. Okay. So yeah, that's I'm I'm sold. Done. Don't even need to know what it's about. <laughs> Done. Just tell me mm-hmm. Key and Peel are in it, and that's good. Like it, I think it's gonna be great because they are two of of I don't want to say they're underrated, like because you were talking about Clement Virgo and and being underrated. And I I agree with you on that, but I do feel like sometimes when we talk about like the great comedy duos of time, like Key and Peel is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that they, what they've made and some of the sketches that they've done are just so funny and so clever. So I'm I'm with you on that one. That's going to be a good one. And animated too. There you go. It's you know what a what a genre. Mm-hmm. And they've got a good supporting cast because Angela Bassett, James Hong, Ving Rhames, Lyric Ross. So it's got uh, it's got some really interesting people that are also voicing characters in this film. Yeah, I don't think it was tough for them to get people on board to to do this. Kind of the same with like the Ryan Johnson movie, like the the Glass Glass Onion. Like it's not going to be tough to get the big people, like really talented no. actors involved because. Yeah, everyone just wants to work with good filmmakers, and they're definitely that. I believe this movie will be coming to Netflix as well, so oh. I lied when I said Glass Onion was the only one that's going to be easy to watch. But the question is, is this going to be one that's going to be popular? Is this going to be, you know, like The Gray Man or The Atom Project or Red Notice, where it's going to be on the top of everyone's Netflix login page as soon as they open it up? Or is it going to get buried a little bit because it's, you know, a weird, quirky, stop-motion animation movie that isn't quite for kids, but isn't really going to be full-on adult themes? Uh, so it's going to be interesting to sort of see how they manage to promote this and whether or not it gets buried i wonder if it i feel like it'll depend on whether or not they think that it will be a serious contender in any oscar category like if they think that it will be a contender for best animated then i feel like they'll push it because netflix i've never seen a studio so desperate to win an oscar like those guys (laughs) it's so transparent like to be fair to them at least they're being transparent about it and like they are but like maybe i i could see it being buried as well though like to your point of it might just be mm-hmm. something that that if your algorithm works for it, then you'll see it. But otherwise, general audiences won't ever hear about it, maybe, unless you're just yeah. randomly scrolling through Netflix one day. Yeah, uh, it, they, they are very desperate for for Oscar wins, not no one since uh, that producer that he who should not be named uh, has been so transparent about only wanting Oscars. <laughs> Uh, All right, so those are our five movies that we are most excited for. We're going to do a little bit of a rapid fire of other ones that are on our radar. Rachel, if you want to very quickly go through your five. I'm doing five. Okay. Um, We're going to do Darren Aronofsky's The Whale. Brendan Fraser returns. It's going to be great. Uh, I just want to see him do another movie, quite frankly. I feel like Brendan Fraser's got a bit of a redemption arc right now, and so I'm all here for it. Uh, There's a documentary called Sydney coming out which is about Sidney Poitier and he's an actor that I feel like I know a bit about but I don't know enough about him and I should know more about him so I feel like this documentary will kind of be maybe like the first steps into getting to to know the man a little bit more and um and I hope I think he's very well appreciated regardless but um yeah I'm I'm looking forward to that cuz I think it'll be it'll be a good doc Another documentary I'm looking forward to is called Black Ice, which is a Canadian film uh, that is about hockey within the black community and the adversity that black hockey players face specifically. Um, and I, it looks really, it's very timely. It's very topical right now, but I think it, it'll be a really interesting um, film to, to kind of get stuck into. 
Um, the other one is I Like Movies, which is the directorial debut of the Canadian director Chandler Levac. Levac, maybe? Um, it's about, it's set in 2003 in Burlington, Ontario, and it's just about, it's like a coming of age film about a teenage kid who loves movies and is trying to find his footing after high school. So like his high school experience, his life to date hasn't exactly been what he wanted it to be. And he thinks going to university is, is basically his next step and um, a way to reinvent himself a little bit. And uh, yeah, and I'm big on first time directors. I like seeing what new filmmakers do. And also it's a Canadian movie and it's set in 2003. The nostalgia of it is, yeah, it's right on point for basically our age group. And the last one that I'm going to shout out is a woman uh, is a woman is a movie called The Wonder, um, and that is Florence Pugh, and it's probably the less controversial Florence Pugh title that's about to come out in the next few months. Um, and it's set in kind of Victorian times. I just love Florence Pugh. Anything that she does, I am game to watch. Um, so because I, I think she's one of probably one of the best actors that we have going on, especially within her age range. So those are my five. Awesome. Yeah, those were some of the ones that uh, I had on my list as well. So I quickly took off Black Ice because uh, I don't want to repeat some movies. That's one I'm very excited about as well. It shares its name from a book written by a former hockey player named Val James, Mm. who um, sort of talks about him dealing with uh, racism in hockey and how... uh, Canada isn't the so-called perfect country. It somehow likes to portray itself. Uh, but my five movies that I am very excited about that I'm also going to sort of rapid fire go through. Uh, the first one is Moon Age Daydream, which is a documentary about David Bowie. It looks very experimental with lots of great concert footage and behind the scenes interviews and stuff like that. It's being released by Neon and it's coming out at the end of September. And I think it's going to get a pretty big push. So that one's going to be probably pretty easy for people to, to find at their repertory cinemas. The next one is The Son, which is the follow-up to Florian Zeller's The Father, which uh, everyone probably has seen by this point. But uh, this movie stars Hugh Jackman, Laura Dern, and Anthony Hopkins. I haven't really looked a lot about what it's really about, but, you know, much like The Father was about the father going through uh, his issues, this one is about a son going through his issues. Uh, So I don't know why he chose the name his movie so similarly uh, because they're not related but you know that's neither here nor there the next one is a movie called broker which is the new uh, uh hirokazu koreeda movie who did he did shoplifters and he's done uh, a few other pretty popular japanese films and this movie um has uh, some pretty big names in it, including Song Kang-ho, who people know from Parasite, or uh, Duna Bay, who uh, I believe, she was in that Netflix show Sense8, I believe, and she's been a few other high-profile projects uh, as well. Um, Oh, this is Korean, sorry, not Japanese. I don't know why I said that. Um, I'm very excited for this because I really like Coriata's movies and he's very, you know, the, the very opposite of Park Chan-wook, which is a very lo- a lot of bombast. Coriata is a lot of intimacy and quietness. And so it's going to be interesting to sort of see how the two of them go side to side. I think this is also going to be an awards player for, for maybe someone like Song Kang-ho, who had his big coming out party in um, Parasite a few years ago. 
And then the next one is a movie called Rosie. It's a Canadian movie directed by Gail Maurice. It is the debut film of a uh, Métis artist, uh, Maurice. And so it's going to be interesting because it actually takes place in 1980s Montreal, uh, about a suddenly orphan indigenous girl and the sort of community that she makes around herself, which looks like it incorporates the queer community of Montreal. So I'm very excited for this one. I've seen Gail Maurice uh, act in several things, and so I'm very curious to see what she's going to do as a director. And then my last one is a movie called Sanctuary, which uh, I think now people are, are starting to realize which one this is. And I think film Twitter is going to be very excited about this movie. But it is about a man played by Christopher Abbott, uh, who uh, is a really big up and coming star. I'm, I'm a big fan of him. And he is seeing a dominatrix played by Margaret Qualley. Uh, and he is trying to end his relationship with her. And she does not want to end it because he is about to come into a lot of money as he's about to take over the family business. And so that one looks like it's going to be a real interesting sort of psychological thriller conversational aspect. But those are our five movies I'm very excited about. And there's a whole bunch more that we can, we could talk about. Um, you know, we mentioned the Fablemans off the top. My Policeman sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Empire of Light, Raymond and Ray, The Eternal Daughter. Like, I keep going on and on of movies that seem really interesting. But I think we need to stop talking about movies that we want to see because we'll be here all day. <laughs> also throw out Women Talking, which is a new Sarah Pauly movie. Um, and Absolutely, yes. Who, who doesn't love Sarah Pauly? So, yeah, but like you said, we could we could keep going. We could literally talk about the entire catalog if we wanted to. Uh, but that wraps up our show this week uh rachel where can people find your work and have you been working on anything you want to share uh where can people find my work of course rachelkh.com um underscore rachel kh is my twitter in terms of new stuff that i've got going on uh what do i have i think i have put a beast the beast um I don't know. It wasn't called the beast. Was it called the beast or just? I think beast? it was just called beast. It's yeah. just called beast. Yeah, there's the Idris Elba movie, and oh, I guess I'll shout out. I'm about to guest on Awesome Friday again. Um, I'm subbing in for Simon once again. So it'll be Matthew and I, and we're going to be talking about Three Thousand Years of Longing and uh, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. I believe I got that title right. So we're going to talk about those when, two movies. When does that episode come out? I think. Sunday. I'm going to guess Sunday or Monday, which is okay. going to be ahead of this episode coming out, I believe. I will double check with Matthew and I'll let you know, though. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to share that in the show notes. Uh, we love Awesome Friday and Matthew and Simon. So, uh, yeah, very excited to hear you back on that show again. Um, they might steal me away. It might just mean Don't me, Matthew stop, and Simon. Stop this. No, Rachel. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm sorry that I put you on a timeout. You're 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 welcome back into the fold. I mean, as long as I can do another A24 movie, that's fine. I guess we're forgiven yes. after that. Yeah. Of course, of course. Uh, <laughs> which uh, I believe the next one is probably going to include Matthew. <laughs> as, a, as a little spoiler. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is not the end of our TIFF coverage. Even though I'm not going to be there watching movies, you are, you're going to have a ton of reviews coming out on all of your usual channels of exclaim that shelf. I wouldn't be shocked if something on POV ends up showing up your own website. Uh, 
you're going to be everywhere all over TIFF. Uh, so there's going to be lots to talk about. But then we're also going to try to get some interviews. Well, you are going to try to get some interviews. Um, and then we're also going to do a wrap-up show with uh, hopefully a brand new guest if, if everything lines up. Um, so I'm very excited to sort of see where all the TIFF stuff, I get to eagerly watch on the sidelines, uh, cheering <laughs> you on, getting to see all these cool movies before me. Well, you'll get to see them at VIF, you know. Or most of them. I don't know. They they have a lot of overlap between VIF and TIFF, don't they? There there is some overlap. Not as much of the high profile stuff, but the okay. the the smaller stuff is usually uh, overlapping. Uh, probably, I would assume too. The Canadian stuff would overlap quite a bit. Yes, yeah, um, which is important. So yeah. So hey, uh, you don't get to do TIFF, but I don't get to do VIF. So mm, you know, yeah. there you go. Well. You can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. Let us know what movies you are most excited for or to seeing at TIFF. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do, we do post all episodes there as well. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.